Welcome back to Open to Truth, a podcast all about exploring big ideas and discovering truth together. My name's Clint. Hey, I'm Tony. Welcome back. Uh, recently, you preached a sermon at our church. I did. Uh, where you had to unpack a little bit having to do with the Trinity. Yeah. It, well, it wasn't, I don't think it was supposed to be the primary focus of the message, but it, I, I was instructed. Here was the big idea I was given okay. to work with was God, God exists as a community of love and we are called to exist as a community of love. Okay. I changed it slightly. Oh. to be God exists as a community of love and we are invited to participate. Anyway, it did delve into Trinity and I found the preparation for this message mm-hmm. to be pretty difficult. So I thought it'd be cool to do an episode on it. Yeah, because uh, I was I messaging you as I was preparing. I was right. like, mate, help me with this. <laughs> so why why think Trinity again? <laughs> yeah, so wait, this is important, right? Why? <laughs> um, maybe before we dive into it, I don't know. Like, I've... N- Depending on who you talk to, it's mm. given different levels of importance. Yeah, man. Sh- oh, sh- yeah. Surely. Totally. You know, um, well, and the whole spectrum, I would say. Like, I think for a lot of Christians, it's an afterthought. Like, your average go to church, live in the Christian life thing. I think they would put Trinity pretty far down on the list of how important is it. Jesus is very important, and God God is very important. But how often are they thinking in Trinitarian terms throughout mm. the day. I, I, for the longest period, have not thought that much in Trinitarian terms. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have said I disagreed with I it. I think but. I was trained from an early age to have, that's one of the sense of my bloodhound nose to sniff out if something is in violation of it. Yes, okay. You know, yeah. uh, I was on the, on the lookout. I had a study of vigilance for, I didn't want Trinitarian doctrine to be violated by any now, kind of teachings. But, but now how sensitive were you to, and maybe we'll get there, because you've got some people who would say it's right at the center. If you don't have Trinity, you don't have Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, oh shoot, what was I going to say? Not just how important is it, but uh, how stringent is your definition of what counts as as true or oh, right. valid Trinitarian doctrine? So like people appeal to analogies all the time, but it turns out on closer inspection, they've been formally condemned as heresies by the church. <laughs> right. you know, those analogies. Mm-hmm. So... Like I had people come up to me after the message and they're like, hey, here's some great examples. Like you could have used these analogies. Have you heard of this one? I'm like, I have actually heard of that one. Like what's an example? The, um, that God functions like as water, f- water, steam, and ice. It's all H2O. It's all God, but different forms. I'm like, well, that's modalism. So we can't run with that. And just for our audience, modalism. And I have. there was a time when I was more sharp on yeah. like listing out all the different there's a great on video this, on it. But if you just Google, uh, I think it's, if you just Google St. Patrick Trinity or something, it'll pop mm. up. It's satire, but it's this kind of thing of, of somebody trying to explain the Trinity and every time they're like, well, actually that was a heresy that was condemned in such and such a year. You uh, know? Um, right. So yeah, modalism, what, that God has these different modes he's operating well, in? Well, de- that-, that one diminishes the genuine threeness yes. or... A genuine personhood of the different yeah it does personality it's yeah. more like one god in three different Phases, positions yeah. he sits he stands and he lays down he, right, he right. yeah 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 so like good old-fashioned <laughs> solid trinitarianism mm-hmm. is stresses equally heavily the oneness and the threeness right i think right um one god in three persons i found it and i don't know if this is appropriate to lay out on this podcast but I mean, I think he would declare it publicly and has. Like our lead pastor, when I first came here to Heartland, I was pretty surprised that he would 
say like, hey, if I had to just write out a statement of faith, it'd be just Trinity. That God is Trinitarian. Yeah. That God exists as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like there's, the end. there's enough baked in there for him that it was like central right. and and clarifying enough for him. Mm-hmm. You know? And I've just not felt that way. That the doctrine to me has felt like one that well, to, we've talked about in other episodes, if our mind is like a Ron Weasley house where bits of furniture have made their way in over the years, Trinity was one that I hadn't really turned the gem on very closely yeah. for a long time. And I, re- I remember reading a, one of the first books in seminary was this one. I think Fred Sanders is the writer, uh, The Deep Things of God. Mm. And the main point of that is, I mean, to abandon Trinity is to abandon basically every evangelical doctrine. It's baked into everything. Uh, like mm-hmm. the gospel is Trinitarian. They would say we are reconciled to the father by the son mm-hmm. through the power of the spirit, something yeah. like that. So yeah. to get rid of any piece of it um, is to do great damage to the central claim. Yeah. So just to say, and then also, of course, to uh, people that are not evangelical, Trinity is not important at all. No, you know? uh-uh. You know? Yeah. Of course, atheists don't think that. Uh, people of different religions don't hold. It's the only tri like Trinitarian. I think yeah, structure and, of beliefs. I can broadly think of. Christian. Yeah, yeah, pretty unique. But I was confronted with some questions as I dove in, um, which is probably inevitable when you're talking about something like mystery, like mm-hmm. Trinity, the nature of God, of ultimate reality. So I don't know. I don't know how you want to slice this up, but I think the question I first reached out to you with was, why do we th- hang on? Why did we cap this at three? Why do we think three? Just because, please, I'm just going to lay out a story for you and you tell me where I'm wrong or I've missed it. You don't find the word Trinity in the Bible. That's not in there. So there's right. not like this laid out doctrine of Trinity in the yeah. Bible. It's something that we have inferred. Or a Greek or Hebrew equivalent. Correlate. Yes, yeah. right, right. It's something that we've inferred from um, references that Jesus has made. He talks about the Father and he talks about sending a helper, sending the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so he uses this kind of language. And then you've got, like in the Old Testament, you've got, what, this little nod in Genesis that maybe God is a plurality. Let us create man in our own image. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not very... If I'm not mistaken, I think that, and I don't think that's the only time that that occurs. Oh, no. Isn't, just, isn't it something like one of the names for just God? Elohim. Elohim is pl- I believe is plural. like the plural. Yeah. It's a plural word. So how I've thought about it has been that, well, this is this is largely how I think about the Bible and and God's revelation to humanity in general is that it's something that's been unfolding over time that we have increasingly come we have increasingly come to understand what God is like, and I think the full revelation we have is in Jesus. Like that's the clear picture. Like it's all sort of led up to this point. So maybe there was hints in the Old Testament of God's plural, but we don't know how many. We did, we haven't nailed it down to Father, Son, Spirit. Hmm. Um, but there's the angel of the Lord figure that shows up sometimes. And it's like, is he God or is he just kind of a God's helper or servant? You don't know. You've got like the fourth guy in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Ooh, is it the pre-incarnate Christ? I don't know. Um, but then in Jesus, especially you get this language of father and, and son and spirit. I just want to know, is there some reason that God couldn't be four? And, and um, or, is, or we just, we're just saying, no, he could be four. He just isn't. He just happens to be three. And mm-hmm. we base that on these are the ones Jesus told us about. There, there could be more he didn't tell us about, members of the Godhead. But he told us about these three. So for now, we're running with three. Is that kind of the story? I mean, 
this is where my head went when I started to prepare for all of it. Yeah, so yeah. This is because Jesus wouldn't have used the word Trinity. Like, when did that doctrine get formalized? I guess I'm wondering how. Not, how I'm not sure. I mean, in the I want to say in the 300s, right. 400s, right, right, AD. Mm-hmm. And and is there something you? So I guess the question is to why do we think three instead of more? And would there be something that you get from three that you don't get from four? Or that you like, or that you don't get from two. Why three and not two? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just interesting. I just uh, yeah, curious to know how we got here. Uh, I think I sent you this the other day, but I don't think you saw it. Maybe you did. Um, what your big argument in Slack? No, the uh, the quote from Roar. I did see it. Oh, okay, I sat, so this saw is, it and chewed on it. Yeah, this is uh, so Richard Roar says this: For God to be loving, God has to be two. Because love is always a relationship of giving and receiving. For God to be joy-filled and happy, God has to be three. Delight comes from two together enjoying and rejoicing in the same thing at the same time. It's like new parents loving their new child that they cannot stop admiring. The love then flows in an eternal circle instead of back and forth between two. Each of the three takes their part in revving the engine of desire and delight. That's kind of interesting. It That's is like interesting. a thought of yeah. why, what does three give you Get rather you than two? two? Which I, uh, I'm with Raw there. Like I've seen that, that there is a, there is a particular kind of a delight that comes in sharing an experience, uh, sharing some third thing with somebody else. Yeah. You know, like, like Melissa and I have experienced now with the young kids. Like, mm-hmm. the, I guess. And so that each of them are doing that with each other. Yeah. Here's where I have a problem with it. Sure. If you press it, it's like his choice of God needing to have delight or something seems arbitrary. I could also tell a similar story about how there is this peculiar quality of passion that only comes out when you have large crowds together and they're all cheering for the same cause. So God is a large crowd because he is this passionate exchange of like, it's a nice idea and it might be true. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if how he got, I'd want to know how he got there. Like I agree. I, there is a certain kind of delight you get from three that you don't get from two. But there's also other sorts of experiences you have from larger groups. Right. So is God all sorts of experience? I don't know, you know. Mm-hmm. I think the love thing, I'm with you there. That like, And this is kind of where I went on the Sunday when I preached is if we want to say that our God is love, like God is this, his essence, his core, his character, his nature is this generous, selfless, other-preferring, unconditional type agape love, that does seem to me like it can only exist in the context of a relationship. And I vow there needs to be some subject that I'm loving or someone that I'm serving or something. So I can see how you get to two there. If God is love, then that has to exist in relationship from eternity past. I struggle with the three. Mm. But when I say I struggle, I mean, Jesus referred to it, so... Right. I think it kind of, to me, it it comes down to that. I mean, so let's just kind of walk through like the being versus the person part. Yeah. Because all all we've said so far is with the, so let's say the love requirement, Mm. if, uh, or, or kind of using the model that I've used in previous podcasts and my paper and stuff of, God as the rescuer. Mm-hmm. And so I have these 
I'm in this predicament. I need to be rescued from it. I'd, I'd like to be rescued from it. I wonder if there's some being out there that can save me from my predicament. One of those predicaments is I'm steeped in moral failure. I don't feel like I can ever get out of that just on my by my own druthers. Mm-hmm. And so for their, for some outside being to qualify as a rescuer, they themselves have to not be free of the problem of moral failure. Yeah. And so they need to be morally perfect. Well, I happen to hold, and it's not that far-fetched, that being morally perfect is maybe synonymous or at least includes being perfectly loving, okay? And so for that being to... And this is, I think this is an interesting part where what does it mean to have the property of being perfectly loving mm-hmm. if you are totally unitary? Mm-hmm. I guess like you could say, like if, it, if it's just kind of like how the Jewish or the Muslims think about God as totally one unitary, what does it mean for God to be loving? Um, before creation or sans without creation, just sitting there in isolation, um, like it has that being would have the disposition to be loving were something to come along to show love for. Isn't there some like counterfactual you can point to where it's like sans creation, there is no expression of the love, but if there were something to love, he would be loving, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm, yeah. I went there on Sunday in the message. I'm now questioning, like, mm, does that hold up under scrutiny? Um, but but then I start to really just Tony's get messed- a really loving person. How do you know that? Well, if someone were to come along, he'd be loving toward them. All right. Why do you think that? Like, yeah, <laughs> just because they're the ground or definition of good or love, and some have gone that route. But I find it more intuitive just to say you possess those traits in virtue of actually having done it. Yeah. So so that's why like uh, this being it has to eternally exist and there are other there are others just let's just call it in quotation other that is a recipient of that love. And so there was a time when creation was not like human mm. beings for yeah for that being to love me. And so it was kind of loving itself in a way. And mm-hmm. so I think you get a, a, a need for plurality in your concept of God through that path of requiring perfect love from the moral perfection part. I can does see, that, I, no, I can see that. I really do. And um, it does seem to me like if we're saying that God is the the ultimate good or the source of Good, it seems appropriate for God to love God's self, mm-hmm. you know, like um, where I get lost. And I don't know if this is just me getting bogged down yeah. or what, but like how helpful it is it to really think of God sans creation or like if we're saying God exists in this exchange of love and that's been going on eternally, doesn't that imply change like time existing? Mm. Like I, I struggle to think of God sans creation existing alone um what frozen in stasis or is it this eternal dynamic exchange of loving and enjoying the other persons of the godhead and if that's the case where's what's going on with time because something's elapsing as you're Mm -hmm. doing that and then i just start to think oh it's too much and that's where i text you i'm like what am i doing yeah yeah (laughs) well then you get into the the whole question of could you have time before like like the Big Bang and right. the first moment of creation, 
Does that even make sense? Is it and, something other than space? And so you might be tempted to just say, what if I just said, well, yeah, uh, there, there was sequential time of the divine dance happening. And then you bring in Craig's, then I go, like the impossibility of traversing an actual, actual infinite. infinite. Yes, exactly. That's where I go. Um, and it's been interesting. Like we have a friend that like when presented with that was like, I don't. Didn't find it at all convincing, I didn't, did I didn't find that intuitively compelling at all. Yeah. Like why couldn't you traverse that? Or like is traverse even the right word for an infinite, like some amount of like. We should clarify for our audience what we're saying exactly, because mm -hmm. you and I are on the same wavelength that we might have lost them. Sure. The argument goes from Craig that um, time began with the creation of the universe mm -hmm. and that it's almost doesn't make sense to say, but before the Big Bang, uh, God existed sans time, without time, not existing in moment after moment. Time didn't exist until creation. And the reason he says that is because if t if the timeline if went time for forever in both directions, yeah. then there are an infinite number of uh, previous moments that would have had to occur for us to be here in this one. Uh, and we should never have reached this moment because there should always have been at least one more moment before this one, I think is something like how it goes. Right, right. right. Um, hmm. the, it, the impossibility of an actually infinite number of things is what he points to. Yeah, um, I guess I and the uh, yeah okay. So I I do find that interesting and worthy of inspection as you lay that out afresh for me. Mm. But then also like I feel committed philosophically and or like not committed, just it seems plausible. You can say that if you are. It seems plausible to me that just what we've been saying so far about God being plural. Mm -hmm. And even like the traditional evangelical view of God being a person, yeah, I just I struggle to make sense of what that what that would mean on his view of God existing. Sans cre uh, what does that look like? I like agree. you just said, is it just in stasis? But there's no thoughts occur. Like no, um, that's not what persons are what like. Does it mean to be alive or to be an agent? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I've so it makes me think there's something wrong with the Craig view. That yeah. I can't pinpoint it because infinities are tough to understand. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of how I feel about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I know what you mean. Now, so so we've gotten to the point where, okay, God is plural in some way. Yeah. Then I go to just a struggle that I have, and I think many people do about just, sometimes it's just hard enough to believe in one God, <laughs> let alone yeah. a bunch of them. Yeah. In terms of like, when I look at... Uh, what are the things that actually exist out there? The yeah. number of entities. Yeah. And so, boy, I'd like to just keep that at one for now as, and, as the hypothesis. And just to be clear, we're not saying, Trinity isn't saying three gods. Right. It's not polytheism. Right, exactly. Well, yeah. we have, I'm trying to like arrive at oh, sorry. Trinity. Yeah. Oh, I got you. Without any commitments. With your search yeah, terms. Yeah, 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 I got you. So God, we, 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 our concept of God says God has to be plural in some way. And now I'm saying I don't want that plurality to be in being metaphysically, like more than one God. That's right. too much. Right. So God's plurality is not in its being. So God is one in being. Mm -hmm. Okay, There's one God. Okay, cool. But the plur pl plurality has to come in some other way. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to in human history, there's this figure of Jesus. And say what you will about all the different things about I've been personally revealed to by Jesus or all of that. Yeah. That happens to be, I think part of my epistemological story. Mm -hmm. I feel convinced of 
part of the gospel that Jesus is God. Yeah. Okay. So here's this person now that I can kind of put a, a face to the name of this concept of God. And lo and behold, Jesus is talking about, and like how you said at the top, uh, he mentions these other figures as also God mm-hmm. himself, his father. Yep. Talks about him a lot. Yeah. And then there's a few mentions here and there of a counselor, a, a helper. helper. Um, I don't know if Jesus himself says Holy Spirit or ghost. No, I don't want to look that up. Um, but I don't believe so. I'm but, struggling to think of a quote. But certainly the other portions of the New Testament oh, make yeah. mention of it. Yeah. Um, and so... This, and you've got, you've got very, with um, at least in John, like in the high priestly prayer and stuff, you've got Jesus. He's not just talking about the Father as some other. It's the Father and I are one. Mm-hmm. Um, he's pointing to that all the time, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We are one. I'm yeah. in you. They're in me. That whole thing. Yeah. And I get, and there's a lot of really good discussions to be had about like, did Jesus actually claim to be divine? Mm. I don't want to. I'm. Don't take me as taking that for granted. Okay. That that's worth looking into, and thoughtful people should look into it and yeah. maybe even disagree. But let's just say that that's the case. Yeah. And then you get into the C.S. Lewis style, uh, you know, reasoning where, look, okay, if he did claim to or think he was divine. Um, that's a pretty remarkable thing to say about yourself. Yeah. Um, and if you also feel convinced of the goodness of the teachings, the the ethics that Jesus is laying out, it'd be really strange to like follow Jesus's way and his ethic and disregard. But ignore him on this one point, right? Where he talked about his divinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm trusting Jesus in some way to be my rescuer and and fits that concept of God, then I, th- I guess where I'm at now is I'm going to take him at his word or at least how, you know, later authors have described the words of Jesus yep. um, and help build my more robust concept of God. I from mean, that, that. makes, that makes sense to me. If you, if you are convinced that Jesus is God, it makes sense to lean on his descriptions of what God is like. And he, he refers to father and mm-hmm. helper and stuff. So, I get that. I, I that are just and and crucially, I think the texture of all those different pronouncements are they're they're distinct. That the father, not that they're unaligned in mission or mm-hmm. something, but uh, they're separate persons. I mean, why refer to them otherwise? Mm-hmm. You know, like you have Jesus praying to the Father. That's bizarre. If they are the same person, yes, oh, yeah, you know, yep. And I wonder how much he's. Um, I'd be curious. I'd be curious to know this. Before Jesus came on the scene, is was it Jewish custom to refer to God as Father, or is that something he sort of? Oh my word! You know, like, or would that mm-hmm. have been irreverent? Uh, I'm wondering why did Jesus choose that particular relationship that we're all familiar with? We all know what a father is like. Yeah. We know the difference between a good father and a bad father. And he consistently points to that analogy to describe his relationship to the other, at least one other member of the Godhead. So I'm just wondering, was that um, was that controversial at the time? Not just that he's equa- equating oneness with God, but, I don't think it's but to- intimacy with God is what he's... Uh, no, I would not say fatherhood metaphor started with Jesus. Okay. I think it preexisted. Okay. You have some 
I was just I was trying to run through the rule decks because it's a funny thing to have to admit after all this time. What? Uh, just with the point blank question: Was God ever referred to as Father in the entirety of the Old Testament? Yeah. And for me to not and you're like know. actually, I'm not sure right away. <laughs> but okay, I found one. Okay. And that's uh, the because Jesus quotes it about Himself. I think it's in Micah. Could be wrong. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Um, and so yes. I think in that original Referring prophecy, Israel. Israel is the son. Well, who's the father? You know, yeah. God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this fatherhood metaphor. That's right. Yes, that shows up in some of the prophets here and there. And maybe elsewhere, but okay, there's at least something. <laughs> there's a lot of metaphors, though, that show up. Yes. There's like chicken metaphors and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah, a mother hen. Yeah. Um, hmm. So I see, yeah, uh, distinctness in persons. So that's where I'm placing the, like we were still wondering, well, where does that plurality come in? Is it just phase shifts, like mm-hmm. in the water analogy? Mm-hmm. Or are they more distinct, discrete persons? And for you, the way you think about it right now, these distinct persons are... But not l- separate beings. Loci of consciousness. They are little like conscious perspectives, three conscious perspectives that make up one being. Is that kind uh, yeah. of how you think about it? Can I challenge you? Sure, sure. On that, or just that's just what I think persons are right now. Right, right. I don't know mm-hmm. what else it would mean to be a person if not that. Where I struggle then, or I immediately start thinking about it, is uh, doesn't the Holy Spirit live in all of us? And so then, like, is He seeing from your perspective, or from my perspective, or from every Christian's perspective, or like? What's what does the conscious experience of the Holy Spirit look like? That's what I'd be interested in if he's inhabiting many mm. people at once. But may, maybe maybe there is a conscious perspective that like uh like like somebody running an RTS controlling a field of units like uh I don't know. I don't even know if at this point it makes sense to think about, but right. If we're saying that they are three conscious perspectives that make up one being it feels, How I mean, well, with? at one level, part, uh, all of this feels a bit speculative. Oh, it's, yeah, it sure does. <laughs> but uh, if, I d- if I may. <laughs> yeah, please. I don't know as we can say, like, I don't know if it's worth worrying about, like, what does God's visual field look like or what is he seeing? Uh, right. Maybe maybe there is some texture to that. And the. I think of it as a mind as well. I don't know if that helps. Yeah, too. it does. It does. Like a mind. Or if, have you ever been in, like, some kind of, Maybe not an actual sensory deprivation tank, mm. but in something kind of like that, where there's been times like when I'm laying in bed, yeah. where even though I know if I focused on it, I could feel the pressure of the bed against my back, or yeah, you know, yeah. But I'm just like uh, total blackness, yeah, yeah. And I'm just thoughts are happening. No, I'm, that's fair enough. You, it's very mental and mind. You don't need a visual field to be conscious. There's obviously there are blind people. They're still mm-hmm. persons. They're still. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't given that careful thought. What is God's conscious experience like? What mm-hmm. is the contents of God's consciousness in the three places that it is? Right. Um, yeah. But that's how I I would I wouldn't be too worried. Like, what is the Holy Spirit looking at? Or <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I feel really I feel really dumb for even bringing it up. <laughs> but that's just what I was thinking. Or like you know how like a fly's eyeball. I don't know if you've seen like. Graphical yeah, representations yeah, yeah. of that—it's like a it's thousand, like a thousand different eyes little in hexagons. One. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, the, one of the analogies that I ended up going with was was kind of how 
Oh, in the same way that you can see, like with a flock of birds, that they are there. Are, they are many, but when they all get together, it's just stunning. If you haven't looked at this, go Google on YouTube "Dance of the Starlings," mm. mate. I got so emotional watching it for whatever reason, but like, yeah, these birds that starts off as just a few and then more and more gather and and they they seem to fly with one accord eventually. It's Is like, that a once a year thing? Or? I don't know. Actually, I. I don't know. You made it sound like it was a real event. I do to think. I do think. Look out for. Okay. I did think it was an event. I thought or it was. Or they just kind of do that all the time. Well, I remember. See, I saw it on some Planet Earth documentaries where I first mm. saw it, and I can't remember if he said it was like seasonal or migratory. Season. Yeah, or something like that. But anyway, you see them. They end up flying around as one. What looks like one organism. One, um, and nobody's steering in particular. It's really amazing. It's very interesting. It's almost like you're seeing a, a hive mind emerge or something. And I don't know. And even something less spectacular. I mean, just yeah. in my yard, I mean, a th- 50 birds will fly down at once. Yeah. And then take off, all, like, basically all at the same all time. All at the same time. Right, right. And they're not doing a cool dance, but yeah. they're just picking at stuff. So I'm not, I don't, I don't bring that up to say, like, oh, God is some emergent property of all of us acting with one accord or something. I, I want to say God exists prior to any of that. But maybe that's something what it's like. It's like, I was I was having trouble with the three, but then the spirit seems like infinitely divisible. That the spirit can be in you mm. and in me and in everyone else, and is not diminished in any way. There's no less of the spirit than there was before, um, and that's just something that's sort of right. The spirit is not scarce. So the to- the main question you're asking: Why not more than three? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't have the faintest idea. Yeah. I mean, it easily could be like. If if Jesus had mentioned a fourth, then our model would be different. I'd feel a bit more compelled to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know what you'd call it. I don't know either. Quadrity. Yeah. <laughs> um, hmm. But it just like in so beyond that, then like I don't know what role that other fourth or fifth thing would do. To your point, the Holy Spirit seems to kind of. Fill in those other yeah. He's like the core job responsibilities. Fills in all the gaps. Yeah. that's the other thing that's not clear to me, man. About this is the roles. Um. Mm-hmm. So okay. Yeah. What is it that is unique about We're really the father? Really waiting out in the deep. I know we speculation are. here, but okay. What is unique about the father as opposed to the son? What What is it that makes them? Di- why call one father and one son? Are we saying like they have different roles, different jobs? The way they relate to each other is different. Or all the jobs interchangeable and they can all change seats on the bus whenever they want. I don't think that's what the doctrine is. That today Christ is going to do the thing that the Holy Spirit normally does. No, no. Right? That's I not, don't think that would be a typical... I don't think so either. So, but like what makes it... Here's just my layman's how I've sort of thought about it for a long time is the father is the big one. And he's sort of like, he's the main one. He's, ma- he's in charge. He's the main one. <laughs> and the son does what the father tells him, but also like would have chosen to do that anyway and is in agreement with the father's choices and is like, yes, I will go and sacrifice my life. And the spirit is the one who indwells us and is the voice of conscience in the human person. That's how I've thought about them. But the mm-hmm. father isn't the voice of conscience. Like what are they doing all day? Yeah. What's, yeah. What is, what are they doing? Hmm. How's the, how are the jobs divvied up? I just don't know. Yeah. No, I don't either. I could say things about what I think evangelicals would typically say, like the roles that they do for see what we see in scripture, but to like, did it have to be that way? What 
was it just decided from eternity past somehow? I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I just want to be think. I want to think about it rightly. That's what mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just be stuck with this, like fourth grade version of what's going on with the Trinity. Um, if it is that important of a doctrine, well, that's. I think I want to get it right. Is it that important? I mean, we st- we started the episode with this question of, or just observation that it mm-hmm. carries a different level of importance to different folks. Um, I think one, what I perceive as a benefit to kind of this new way of looking at theology that I've adopted through the course of my studies mm. is this kind of the, the existential method of arriving at the- theology, mm-hmm. including your concept of God. Like, hey, what, w- here are these things that I care about most. These are problems that I need solved. And insofar as I take Jesus to be the the, can, the best candidate for this role as rescuer, like that's where my faith, my confidence, my trust, my hope, um, that's my starting place is finding that candidate. And yeah. okay, so Jesus is that for now. Yeah. Like that's what seems to me to be true. Yeah, um, yeah. And so Jesus has this gospel, this good news that God is for me and not against me and is in the business of, seeking and saving that which is lost. Yeah. So to me, like that is the most important. That's the most important piece. And then working out like all the different ancillary details of what God is like, is God also father and God also Holy spirit. I do happen to affirm those Mm -hmm. because I think Jesus also affirmed them. Um, But that is secondary to me than that main piece of Jesus as, rescuer and savior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, and are you saying there because um, Trinity doesn't help your existential situation as much as, as like, oh, there is a rescuer? Finding out then, oh, this request, this rescuer has some peculiarities about how many uh, loci of consciousness he has. Mm-hmm. That's secondary to, but is there a rescuer? You know? Yeah, yeah. But I do think from my view, you can infer that God has plurality in some way for that. Yeah. Again, not to rehearse the whole thing again, but to exemplify moral perfection yeah. and to actually embody that, to have, to be engaging in perfect love, to be worthy of being yeah. called morally perfect has to do that. And I think that there, <laughs> if there is such a thing had to be other than creation, mm-hmm. um, how would it have come to exist? Mm-hmm. So it ex- existed eternally and was in this, was practicing love before there were any other things to love. Yeah. So, so I think from that, this other way of looking at theology, instead of what we might call revelational theology, where you just start with the book. Yeah. And what does the scripture tell me? Uh, I'm getting to that later. I don't know about if scripture is true at all. Right, yeah. right. A lot of people don't yeah. have that feeling. That's not a starting point. Um, I arrive at that somewhere down the line. And so I do think this concept gives me uh, divine plurality. Mm-hmm. And then once I discover Jesus and what he has to say, he kind of flush, fills that in a little bit of what that plurality looks like. Yeah, yeah. And so, sure. Trinitarian. Okay. And does... um. Does the 
does knowing the doctrine of the Trinity, for example, knowing that God is triune, uh, does that have implications for your life and the way you relate to God uh, hmm. in a way that you wouldn't if Jesus hadn't revealed Father and Spirit? Like, um, I don't even know if that's a meaningful question. Like, Well, yeah, I mean, it isn't, yeah. It's worth asking, like in prayer. Yeah, because some people are religious very, activity. Some people are very specific about that. You pray to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. That's what you're supposed to do. Mm. You don't pray yeah. to don't pray to Jesus. Don't pray to Him. Oh, He's interceding. Pray, pray on to your the behalf. Father. Jesus goes to Him on your behalf, or you're dressed up in Jesus' clothes. And I don't know about any of that. That sounds. You know that thing of like when, I do know when God looks at you, He sees Jesus. I absolutely know what you're talking what about. I'm talking That's about. what I. Was yeah okay the part of my um, whole upbringing, was but yeah for some and... that that has a big implication on how they relate to God. All their prayers need to be filtered through the Trinitarian lens mm-hmm. of. I've which, said this on other podcasts before, but I I pray to the Holy Spirit when I'm doing the messages at church. Mm. I address I address different parts of the Trinity it's directly. True, man. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Is uh, there a rhyme or reason to that? You just throw it out. Whatever you're feeling, I don't know. I I think I generally just pray to God. I say God. I think, and I think I usually mean Holy Spirit. That's who I've been. Okay, th- okay, that's good. That's good. Why? Why do you I mean Holy may, Spirit? I guess maybe my just my, the trappings of my upbringing. Like because like, that, he's the one who's in you and is going to give you words. To and he, this is something. like the the age of the Holy Spirit. Like he's like he's the one that's on the scene right now. Yes. And the dad's on the throne. Yeah. And Jesus is preparing a place uh, for Jesus us. Jesus did creation as Logos. Yeah. And it's kind of like... And then he this, did the sacrifice yeah. a bit and the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And now spirit is working. He's putting in work I, while Christ builds a house I'm, for us. I'm sure that's not and right. And father sits on the throne. Yeah. But again, that's all very metaphorical. Sits I know. On the throne. I know. I wanted, yeah. That's probably just why I just say God. It's like, look, I don't... Whichever one of you... Look, you're all the same, God. Yeah. Delegate the job however you want, but I am addressing you, God. Yeah. I do think they all hear it. Um, Hear it. Yeah. Tricky. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's all very mystical. So, mm, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) What? Well, I was gonna, I was gonna dive into logos. Like Christ is logos, but the Spirit is not. Mm-hmm. But they're all God. Christ. You don't like that they would share different or have different properties that the other ones don't share. No, it's not that. It's just like it simplifies it in my mind when I think about think about yeah it's just, it's one god who has been acting through all of human history but that that's right in line with trinitarian theology because we say it's one god one being I, three person locuses of consciousness three persons and i don't some well the classic argument is or, the, or complaint well that's contradictory no. No. It's just annoying. 
it's a, it's a mystery. And by that, I mean, it's, it's very much other than our normal experience. I'm used to seeing uh, one being one person. Yeah. Here's one right here. Here I am. Mm-hmm. One being one person. It's out, totally outside of my experience. Um, at least like ostentatiously that I could yeah. point to it, that there are, there's a one being three persons. I think an analogy Craig used for this was Cerberus, the three-headed dog that guards the gates of Hades mm. in Greek mythology, would be like a one being three persons. Mm. Three consciousnesses, they're all sharing this one un- union that is they're all one connected being, mm-hmm. but three separate. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. Hmm. Because I guess I, I think about, um, and maybe this is a broader discussion, but when I think about the way that guys like, I don't know, like Peterson talk about Logos as being this, yeah, what, um, this this ideal that calls to us to, to be all that we could be or to embody the spirit of Christ or... Um, they they almost talk about logos as being like the voice of conscience, but if we're saying that's a job for the spirit, that's not logos. Mm, I see you know that. what I'm saying? It's like I've sort of just conflated those two in my mind. It's like there is this call of God that rises up in us to act properly, act the right way, um, embody the heart of God here and now in human terms. Like, and and maybe I'm wrong about conflating the two, or maybe it is just yeah, it's mystery. Like it's spirit. But of course, spirit acts in one accord with Logos, who acts in one accord with the Father. So it's semantics. Who cares what you name it? Mm-hmm. I don't know if any of that made sense, but that's where I'm, I'm getting yeah. lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know what you're saying. And we don't, I don't think we right now need to. No, my kid, I need to go get it. Figure it all <laughs> out. But um, yeah, we probably grew up just doing different things with it. Like, I, mm. for some reason, I'm thinking Holy Spirit really is, I'm interacting with that person when I'm figuring out how to act toward other people or to be on the lookout for like building the kingdom of God yeah, or like divine appointments. Yeah, he's, he's, the, he's the, the boots on the ground. He's, um, mm-hmm. he's your day to day and Whereas, father is like big picture. And, but, but logos is also day to day. And like when it comes just to me, uh, I'm like that ideal part of like, I want to be like Jesus, like the Christ. Yep. Um, that's who I'm relating to, I think, in quiet times. Oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> what's to say? I don't know what's to say, man. I don't know what's to say. My interactions with God all have a similar texture. To mm-hmm. where I can't pinpoint that. That was classic Logos. Oh, there's a spirit there. I know. That's spirit, not Logos. Right. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I sound like a crazy person. Oh, I think we both do a lot of the time. Mm. That's what I started to feel as I prepared this message. I just was struck with like, a, am I just completely insane? But then when you walk it through, starting from like, it really just does yeah, come. Wh- t- where we hit some issues here was like the phenomenology of it. Uh-huh, yeah. And that, well, okay, fine. It's very mystical it's and hard to articulate. yeah. yeah. And I could, it's very fallible. Like I could be wrong about what I'm saying about when I'm description of these experiences or, yeah. oh, actually like the God's eye view of it was actually you were interacting with this person of the Trinity. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> I could easily be wrong about all that. Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't really, I don't think take it too much away from any of this. 
not if and and if it, yeah it just does all come back to jesus for me but to your yes. point that's like what i what we've presented so far hangs extremely heavily all hinges on, on jesus if what he's saying is true it's true yeah Hopefully you find that helpful. That's kind of our take on Trinity. Yeah. It's, it's the last, uh, maybe a little bit different from how you were taught it or like the the process. How, how does one go about developing one's theology? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a little bit different, you know? Yeah. No, I appreciate it. It's using more reason and experience rather than just scripture or tradition. Mm-hmm. Tradition, oh, we didn't bring that in. That is something though, that over 2,000 years, people have continued to within within the camp of Jesus followers have continued to think this way think about, about it this way about God in trinitarian terms that's that's at least to me like tradition um helps me narrow the search terms hmm. of all the things that I could think about God like it's like we've already kind of narrowed it a down a cloud of witnesses has said this so like so let's at least start there let's start there yeah there. yeah it doesn't make it true right it's not a slam dunk for me no, it's worth highlighting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Well, thanks for listening. If you have questions, hey, so do we. We'd love to hear them. You can leave a comment on this video if you're watching on YouTube or you can write to us mailbag at openatruth.com. We're collecting a few questions, so we'll do another mailbag here in a bit. Sure. But if you've got questions about Trinity, yeah, join the club. Let us know what they are and we'll get, get chatting about it. Right on. Um, there's a blog. You could sub to the blog. Openatruth.com slash subscribe. There you go in your inbox. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye.